Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 39, and I am your co-host, Nigel. I am Atazi, streamer and co-host. And our guest for this episode is none other than the Mayamada illustrator uh, and general illustrator, uh, Penali. Penali, welcome back to the show. Uh, hello again. It's nice to be back. Yeah, this is the third appearance, I believe. So you were with us on episode number eight and 26, where I believe we spoke about Zootopia. And what was the other one? Megamind. That was yeah, it. Yeah, it was Megamind. <laughs> yeah. So we went in, uh, I think, quite deeply on, on both of those. So we'll see where this one goes. Um, so you can subscribe to us as always on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from pretty much. You can also send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com or on social media at myamada on Twitter or at myamadatees on Instagram and at Tazzy on both. Let's get started with what's happening in the Myamada universe. Uh, so as I'm going to be mentioning for a number of episodes, we have a Kickstarter and it is live right now. So our Kickstarter for the next Mayamada manga, Serious Through the Fog, is happening uh, since September 3rd uh, and it ends on October 5th. Um, so the story is uh, takes on after Serious Volume 1 and sees Blake and his team have to deal with an unexpected pandemic that hits their world. Uh, so this is a story that is inspired, for lack of a better word, by the current uh, global pandemic we're all uh, suffering through. Um, but my thinking was to create a story that sort of one helps me sort of process some of my experiences and uh, thoughts and feelings in, in this time, but also produce a story that can help people and young readers in particular uh, kind of focus on the positive outcomes and uh, lessons that can still be had sort of even in a time like this. Um, so yeah, we want to make this story a reality. So if you are interested, please do check out the Kickstarter uh, at the time of recording. We're about 70% uh, towards our funding goal. So hopefully uh, we can hit 100 pretty soon and sort of keep going, keep the momentum going from there. So yeah, please do check that out. We'll put those, uh, or that, it's just one link uh, to Kickstarter uh, in the show notes. So yeah, um, take a look and please do consider back in the project we also have uh, the next gamepad online event coming on saturday the 26th of september so it's hosted by tazzy and sponsored once again by into games so the event is free and we'll be streaming across twitch and hopefully this time youtube if we can get those settings sorted out and yeah you can join us um join us in the chat for each join us in our discord uh if you get tickets they are free, but every ticket holder will be entered into a draw for a piece of framed Mayamada artwork done by Penali. And uh, as well as game streaming, we will have a cosplay, uh, cosplay contest courtesy of Hyper Japan. So that's open now. So you can submit cosplay to be showcased at the event. And we're going to have uh, industry interviews with professionals in different areas of the video game industry. So we've got uh, four people lined up. We have uh, Oliver Weingarten, who is the CEO of uh, Esports Social Enterprise London United. Um, we've got Joanna uh, Ricker, who is the, she has a really long title, it's like Strategic Partnerships and Business Development in the Middle East and Africa for Unity. 
Um, so, uh, and then we also have uh, Rihanna McKeith, who's art director at Candy Crush Friends Saga, who's a King uh, own game, and Des Gale, who runs his own company, Alter Gene. He's also a BAFTA Video Games committee member and one of the founders of Poc in Play, or People of Color in Play. Uh, he's also a UK, UK, a UK, uh, UK IE board member. So he does a lot of stuff and we're going to be talking to all of them about their experiences and journeys and lessons learned in the video game industry. Uh, one more thing to look out for gaming wise, we have submitted a panel for the upcoming EGX digital event uh, on storytelling in video games. So um, yeah, we're going to be talking about that at some point. I'm not sure what the schedule is at the time of recording, but once we know what time that is, uh, we'll put that up on our socials and it's going to be streamed as part of the EGX Digital event uh, later on in September. Uh, so yeah, that's all from the Maya Matter universe. Let's find out what everyone's story of the week is. So this is our spoiler-free discussions about what stories that we've either been reading, watching or playing. And we'll start with our guest. Oh, thanks. Um, I have been watching, uh, uh, recently I did a rewatch of um, Avatar The Legend of Korra because that came out on Netflix recently. So um, that's basically, I just, I plowed through the whole thing in like a couple days. <laughs> but um, I, I've watched it before and I just thought it was interesting on like a second rewatch to go back and see um, what worked and what didn't work so well. I definitely feel like it, um, it suffers a little bit from not having the seasons planned out in a way that I feel that the first one did. Um, but it also has a lot of other elements that work really well. I like the world building quite a lot and some of the characters are really great too. So yeah, I, th I think it's worth checking out. Mm. I've really loved the legend of Korra. I'm on <laughs> season three. Well, I finished season three and I'm going to need to watch season four. I'm watching it for the first time as I did with Avatar. Cause I'm just late. <laughs> How are you finding it so far? Yeah. I, <laughs> I like it. Like Penali said, I think, the world building, uh, I really like that. I yeah, I get your point actually, Penelope, about the the planning of the series, like the Avatar, the Last Airbender. It felt like this was a one story taking place over three se uh, seasons, uh, whereas Korra feels like so far three um, sort of not independent uh, uh, seasons because obviously it's, it's same characters and same world and everything, but it doesn't feel as unified uh as last airbender uh did so uh yeah i enjoy season one um i think season three is probably the best so far um for me but yeah i'm, I'm liking it um i am currently watching an anime called toradora uh, i think i've got five more episodes to watch um it's on netflix um and it's like a a school slice of life and it's so refreshing and cute <laughs> i wish it was out when i was a kid uh or when i was a teen because they're sort of like it's kind of a love story um but it's very natural kind of like confused teenagers that don't really know how they feel about who and they don't really understand what what it is like their feelings towards people and they're getting confused and and it, it's quite sweet and there's a they're um I don't quite know what they're called, but their like form tutor is a like single woman, and she's not really in it much. But they love to comment on how single she is, and it just it just makes me laugh so much. 
um, every time. Um, like any teacher needs that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like a really refreshing, like uh, slice of life uh, school anime where they're just normal kids <laughs> just going about their their life and uh it doesn't it doesn't um it just feels really real I think for me I'm like oh I remember having like a school crush on someone that you don't quite know how to tell them and <laughs> you maybe have a crush on someone that you you just don't realize you do but you spend so much time with them and uh yeah so is it one of those like quite introspective stories uh, like as it as it delves into those issues yeah a bit um like the two main characters you follow are both they both are seen as like the really violent kids in school um one of them just has an unfortunate look and looks scary and the and he's like the male protagonist and then uh the female one is short and feisty (laughs) um and is actually genuinely violent. The guy, the guy isn't. He's uh, actually like more of a homemaker. Uh, they make a joke that he's like the housewife because <laughs> he loves a good uh, sale at the grocery store. And uh, <laughs> nothing wrong with saving money. And loves cleaning and looks after his his mum. He works in a club, so he's always like asleep in the mornings, and it's adorable. He like looks after everyone and they've got this cute little group of friends and they're basically trying to set each other up with each other's friend and then end up spending like loads of time with each other. But yeah, it's interesting. Like there's loads of other like different themes that it follows during the season of like, uh, like people becoming more friendly and there's one character you get introduced to a bit later who uh, is actually a uh, model um, and you, she's, a childhood friend of one of the other characters uh, and only he knows her true self which is uh kind of she's kind of rude <laughs> but on the surface she acts like she's just like this klutzy uh dancy girl and he wants her everyone to see her true nature um because he thinks everyone will still like her and she thinks she has to act a certain way for everyone to like her oh um, so it's not like a of- show up kind of thing it's uh, you can be yourself yeah, yeah. Um, and there's like loads of situations where it's like just trying to, it's like people, like each character getting into themselves and learning about themselves and each other. It's cute. It's so refreshing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Nigel, what have you been watching at the moment? Uh, so I have been watching Umbrella Academy season two, um, which I just finished yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um I should have been quicker with that. Um, so yeah, I just finished this yesterday. Uh, so in season two, it's kind of like the the family dealing with the repercussions of time travel, um, pretty much, uh, as well as the whole family dynamic, which I just love. And what I like about this show is like from season one is because you've got this uh, quote unquote family of superpower kids that have sort of grown up together under the rule of this just uncaring uh dictator like father figure and it's it just messes them up <laughs> pretty much it's, it's messed <laughs> yeah. them all up in in different ways and what i really like about it is that they are so different so each i was going to say kid but they when you see the when you start the story like they're all grown up but you have flashbacks to when they were kids but, um yeah they're so different so they're they're not 
biologically related, but they've all been adopted because they're all born. I think they're all born on the same day, right? They were all born at the exact same moment on the exact same day. Uh, and I believe it's by people that didn't know they were pregnant. Or is that another thing? No, I think I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember, like, it, doesn't it start off the first season? Like, like, like it, it very first starts off and I don't think she looked it pregnant. That. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It, I was like, I'm missing a cat. Uh, is this from a different thing? But no, it definitely is that, yeah. The exact same time. They're just suddenly born out of nowhere. They're yeah <laughs> that cliffhanger though on season two yeah <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that, is... like, the first season cliffhanger was like oh they can, can do another uh season the cliffhanger on, on season two is they must they must yeah <laughs> <laughs> they have a duty to yeah. <laughs> no definitely and yeah i just i just like seeing them sort of all having to band together in the most dysfunctional way and i think if you've like ever had uh like everyone has had issues with their family like watching this family operate will just make you feel better <laughs> because they're so dysfunctional um but yeah no i i really enjoyed the second uh season i like how at the start they kind of because everyone's separated and it's about them dealing with their own situation and I like how it gave mm -hmm. it it gave them a moment to sort of yeah do you explore the individual characters how they're dealing with it before they sort of have to come together to save the world which is the whole mm -hmm. kind of idea and uh five is just brilliant like, I love five so much yeah, <laughs> like and so just for people who don't know like the when the children are adopted basically like I said this uncaring sort of uh no empathy father just gives them uh, numbers so one to seven and five his power is is uh time travel and he's oh, managed it's, his power isn't actually time travel but he figured out how to use his power for time travel oh yeah that's right yes yeah yeah so yeah you're right so <laughs> so th through time travel he is he's basically messed up such that he has become trapped in the body of a kid um and, and the 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 kid that the actor that plays him i just, like particularly in this season i just had to remember like this is a kid but he he does so well playing an old man because that's what he's doing yeah i forget that it is actually a child playing exactly. an old man and not an actual old man exactly. stuck in a child's <laughs> body <laughs> So I think he does such a good job because he commands like the scenes he's in and his dynamic with the other characters. He really like, he looks down on them, not in a, well, actually sometimes yeah. in a disparaging <laughs> way, but <laughs> just in that I'm older than you. Like, we don't have time for this. We just need to just listen to me. Like, I'm I'm the oldest. Um, and the fact that he's always in his, um, so as they come together, they're called the Umbrella Academy and they all have uniforms. And Five is the only one who's, he continues to wear his uniform. And mm -hmm. it's just great. There's a moment um, in season two where they go to this fancy uh, gala type situation and uh, and Diego and everyone is like dressed up. And five, just five. He's just his <laughs> same character in, in his school uniform, but he doesn't care. And yeah, he just he's a mm -hmm. great character. But yeah, I, I like the whole dynamic and all the characters. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed, uh, enjoyed this season and looking forward to seeing what they do yeah, for season mm -hmm. three. I really do wonder what they do for season three. Because uh, season one is um, they've been separated 
before the season, before you're watching them. And this is them oh, of course. Yeah. getting back together. And then season two is they've got back together uh, and then they've been forced to be separated. Like before it's like them growing up and them choosing to distance from each other. And season two is like they've been forced to distance from each other uh, after finally kind of like rekindling. So I wonder what season three the theme is going to be. <laughs> yeah, and like you say, the the urgency with which they need to do the season three because it's they season yeah season two ends on a like I need to check out the next episode right now <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. Um, so definitely looking forward to that. So yeah, that's what I've been uh, watching story wise. Now let's get on to our main story discussion. And today we're going to be talking about the cyberpunk action film Elita Battle Angel, which has been directed by Robert Rodriguez, uh, written and produced by James Cameron, uh, who I understand has been, this has been a passion project for him, um, which is kind of cool that he kind of stuck with it and and brought it out. So uh, as usual, a spoiler alert, we're going to be getting into all the details of uh, Elita Battle Angel. So if you haven't seen it um, and... Yeah, you should watch it first and then join the discussion. Before I do the recap, let's just have a quick take and get everyone's overall impressions uh, of the film, starting with Penali. What did you think? Um, I think I was like quite surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoyed the the sort of breakneck speed of the plot and all the different elements that were in there. I really liked the world building with all the different um, cyborg parts and uh, just the way that there would be all these crowds in the background and you could really like, the, the environments looked like fleshed out. They didn't look like, you know, that they were like cheap sets or anything or that they skimped on having people around there i I just thought thought it came yeah it came together it came together really well and and i I also like i remember people criticizing the uh the cg on her eyes but i found that it didn't bother me as much as i thought it would so overall i had a good time watching it okay uh how about you tessie i love this film um (laughs) i remember seeing it first and coming out and being like wow like just pow <laughs> that kind of like, i felt like my action uh action it had been scratched big time um <laughs> but also that i like i like how it's done and i i just really enjoyed the overall story and cgi and aesthetic mm. of this whole film okay so I so I see it twice now, and I I was conflicted because I enjoyed it, but like somewhere deep down, I was like, "Is this a good story?" And I guess we're gonna talk a bit. Of, well, yeah, we're gonna jump into all that and find out. But I yeah, I really enjoyed it, and when I watched it the second time, I enjoyed it again. <laughs> I was like, mm. I realized. Like but then there are there are elements of it which I feel could have been done better, and hopefully will be done better if and when they do a a sequel but i like the uh the aesthetic definitely uh the action uh is great and elita herself is just such an endearing character <laughs> that is just, probably sort of uh, a lot of the reason um why this film works and i do like that uh so I, I mentioned uh james cameron and i think the whole sort of uh reaction to the eyes which uh similar to you Penelope didn't really bother me once I was watching it um I understand it's sort of a 
a nod to sort of the manga uh, or manga style in general, but particularly this this character. Um, so yeah, I I liked it, but but I, I, <laughs> I sound confused just because I'm like I'm I'm sure I'm not sure this is a good film, but I liked it, so I guess it is a good film. Yeah, there we go. End of podcast. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, <laughs> good discussion. Um, no, uh, so yeah, I'll let me do a recap and then we'll uh, jump into uh, some of my thoughts and get everyone's thoughts as well. Uh, so the story takes us to 2563, 300 years after Earth was devastated by a war known as the Fall. Dr. Dyson Edo discovers a dismembered female cyborg with her brain intact in the Iron City scrapyard. Edo attaches a new cyborg body to the cyborg and names her Alita in memory of his daughter. Alita has no memory and quickly befriends Hugo, who dreams of living in the wealthy sky city of Zalem. Hugo introduces Alita to Motorball as they become closer, but secretly he steals cyborg parts for Vector, known owner of the Motorball tournament and ruler of the factory, Iron City's governing authority. One night, Alita follows Edo and they are ambushed by cyborg serial killers led by Gruishka. Alita instinctively kills two of the cyborgs and damages Gruishka, who retreats. Edo reveals that he is a hunter-warrior, a bounty hunter hired by the factory. With Hugo's help, Elita finds an advanced cyborg body belonging to a berserker, deadly troops of the enemy nation United Republic of Mars, or ERM, from the fall. Edo refuses to install Elita in the body. Elita registers as a hunter-warrior in defiance of Edo. At the Kansas bar, she starts a brawl after beating Zapan, a hunter-warrior and pretty much an all-round bully. An upgraded Gruishka soon turns up, revealing that he has been sent by Xylem's overlord, Nova, to destroy Elita. Elita's body is damaged in the fight, forcing Edo to transplant her into the berserker body. Elita enters multiple tryouts to win enough money to send Hugo to Zalem. Hugo's relationship with Elita leads him to quit his criminal job, but when he tries to confront his partner, Tanji, Sapan kills Tanji and frames Hugo for another cyborg murder. Hugo calls Elita for help and she abandons the tryout to find Hugo just as Sapan does. Sapan stabs Hugo, but Ido's ex-wife, Shirin, offers to help save Hugo by attaching his severed head to Elita's life support system. Edo later transplants Hugo's head onto another cyborg body and tells Elita that Vector's offer to help Hugo reach Salem was a lie. Elita confronts Vector, who summons Gruishka, but Elita easily destroys him. She forces Nova to speak to her through Vector. When Nova threatens to harm her friends, Elita kills Vector. Hugo flees to Salem, or tries to flee to Salem, but Elita catches up with him and pleads with him to return with her. Though he agrees, he is then shredded by a defense ring sent by Nova and eventually forced to his death. Months later, Elita is a multiple superstar and before game pledges vengeance on Nova, who watches from Zalem smirking. The end. Yeah, like I said, um, I enjoyed it. I We're going to figure out if it was a, a good film uh, or not. But what I wanted to start with is, uh, is Elita a good manga adaptation? Um Although I'm not sure if we're going to be able to answer the question because I haven't uh, read the manga, although I now definitely want to. Um, Penali, have you read it? Um, I haven't actually read it, but I did check it out um, for this recording because I wanted to like uh, sort of get an idea of the two and how they might differ. Yeah, and uh, I feel like 
I feel like I did like the movie. I didn't really get far into the manga, um, but it was very, I will say that the first chapter was very bizarre. <laughs> so um, I, I feel I feel like I preferred the movie's origin story to the to the mangas, because uh, the mangas one was very, was, it was a bit strange and a bit hard to follow for me, but uh, it might just be that it's like an older manga and things have sort of paced differently back then. And Yeah. Interesting you say bizarre, because bizarre is not a word I'd use to describe anything in the film. So can you give an example of what uh, was it like anything specific or just like the general tone or um i think there are a few tropes that struck me as pretty dated nowadays like uh part of the origin story in the manga is that he finds this uh this girl or woman and she's basically the i don't know if you've heard about this trope the born sexy yesterday trope uh where it's like oh no. a man comes across a woman and she like she can't remember anything and she can barely talk and she's she acts like a child and whatever and he's and she's like really you know sexy or whatever and he's like like taking care of her even though she's acting like a child and it's kind of like it's just it just comes across as kind of weird even though i know that it's pretty common from stuff like 20 years ago and whatever but to me reading it now it came across as a little strange mm, interesting yeah definitely sounds like the uh backstory is is better <laughs> in the film because yeah definitely like he takes on a full like father approach like it's a, a, a full-on father-daughter approach and that yes it's clear. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's clear. <laughs> <laughs> like he even thinks she's younger than she is and compares her to his daughter and it's like just clear cut that's how he sees her that's how they see each other yeah and i think for <laughs> e because ido has you later learn that he's lost his daughter and the body that he gives to elita was supposed to be for his daughter who can't move uh, she's um is it uh paraplegic uh, uh she yeah she uses a wheelchair and she can't move so he's gonna use that body for her um so yeah it, it's like you say Tazzy, it, it's very clearly defined that this is a paternalistic relationship <laughs> uh and nothing more so it sounds like a, a good thing that they uh kind of clarified that <laughs> uh <laughs> cleared up that trope um but like i mentioned one of the things that uh caused some controversy i guess um was the design of elisa particularly her eyes and i think what i like about what i heard um of james uh cameron's approach is that apparently there was a reaction when they did i think it's from the first trailer so people were kind of weirded out by her eyes and rather than go back uh james cameron actually then made them bigger or particularly the iris is bigger um so yeah i, I guess penali you mentioned that it wasn't an issue for you was it an issue for you uh, tazzy like the size of elita's eyes no i i liked it <laughs> it kept me like always very drawn to her expression and i think it added to like that She's like very childish puppy kind she of. She does have the yeah, vibe that <laughs> she's got. Eyes. So I think it's just like accentuated that that like a puppy discovering the world. Yeah, you know, like the first time she tries chocolate, and it's very like yeah. <laughs> I think it, I think it works. I I like it, and I like the fact that it really she's she's very unique even as a cyborg and i feel like her the way her face is done like it just adds to that point you know she's mm. she's she's, she's ancient tech she's like 
yeah, like her her body, her her like body and heart and everything. It, it's a it's you know a over three hundred years old way of creating a cyborg weapon. Mm. So yeah, no one else like no one else has that. So it it makes sense that she looks very unique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it kind of reminds um, me of the like the Disney princess uh, aesthetic because they have like large eyes and it kind of gives mm. a certain impression. I mean, uh, like interested um, Penelope from like a like character design perspective, what like large eyes typically uh, do for a character. Uh, it's usually like a cute factor thing, or like um, like Tazi was saying, like an innocence thing, uh, childlikeness. Um, but yeah, it's usually like for for cuteness or to make them very like expressive or very relatable, even because uh, you can read the eyes very easily. Yeah, and I think the relatability of uh, Alita's is one of the sort of great things about uh, this film, and certainly the the childlike um in terms of like discovering the world um and i didn't sort of pick up this pick up on this um on the first watch but there is quite a sort of video game style progression uh through this plot because you you have elita who starts off with nothing like she's got no skill well she doesn't know about her skills and she has no memory and she has to sort of get them both back and then even like sort of about halfway through the film she gets a, a body upgrade um uh for like was it the uh, berserker uh, body and when she knows that she's a warrior and that's when she comes into herself uh and yeah like uh i think it was mentioned in the film it's like how she sees herself like the body adapts um like through nanotechnology to her image of her of herself so yeah i thought that was interesting and in terms of like the plot i feel elisa is is definitely the the vehicle for this plot because she yeah, she kind of like doesn't know anything, and obviously the the viewer doesn't know anything. So we learn with her. Um, but actually, I'm going to speak more about that. But I wanted to like continue the the visual uh, theme and just say like this is a like visually impressive uh, film. And I wanted to know did anyone watch in 3D? I didn't because I didn't know 3D was still a thing. But I don't. I didn't know this was in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't like go I don't go um I mean obviously I don't have 3D stuff at home and I don't generally choose to watch things in 3D at the theater because I have glasses and putting 3D glasses on top of my glasses is kind of a nightmare. It doesn't Same. look good so I don't do it. <laughs> doesn't look it doesn't feel good. I don't get on with 3D films until like a 3D film is just like I can watch it with my eyes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they're going to make 3D films work for me, but just the whole Whole ex- even if they look impressive, it's just a whole experience of, of I swear, maybe if we have like custom 3D glasses, because that okay. many films are in 3D, but it's just un- it's just uncomfortable. Do they still I find do it films in 3D? I don't know. Because I feel that dropped off. There was a point where there was certainly an effort to push 3D as the next big thing. Yeah. And I feel like people did not respond as the industry <laughs> expected. And I just don't hear much about it. Obviously, I don't hear much about cinema at all now. But. When I literally had a collection of 3D glasses yeah. uh, <laughs> and I used them, I would pop out the lenses and uh, use them to make like different colored glasses. <laughs> <spray paint them. laughs> 
the future of 3D. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, like even in, in 2D, it is definitely a, uh impressive film to watch and i liked how um visually there's a lot of influences from other sci-fi films and it had this uh i guess familiarity uh to it which i think helped uh the adaption so for people who may not be familiar uh with the source material so you have um i sort of initially got like a quite a blade runner uh esque uh feel but um i was like reading up on other influences like um in terms of the sort of the divide between rich and poor um in um film uh, metropolis and the idea of like this mysterious female protagonist um with uh with his powers like the fifth element which is like going back into i think the 90s <laughs> um so the action sequences were a big part of like the visual appeal uh did anyone have any like uh particular moments that stood out in terms of like the action i can't really um, think of like an action sequence but i can think of a uh... <laughs> 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 okay i think um the uh when she goes into the bar yeah um, i was thinking that as well and she kind of shows off her her skills to all the um are they what are they called again? Not bad. Uh, Hunter, Hunter Warriors. Hunter Warriors. That yeah, that moment's pr- pretty impressive. I think it takes a moment to like show off because obviously it's they're I think that they're all pretty much all cyborgs in there as well, aren't they? So it, yeah, pretty much. It's like just a full-on cyborg Barbara. <laughs> yeah, I know, and it is um, because they're kind of because everyone's cyborg. I think it allows the film to get away with things that would be super violent if, yeah. if they weren't an, an inappropriate for younger viewers yeah. uh, but because they're cyborgs it's fine and then just that final where she kind of uh, the moment when she kicks she like just kicks the sword oh yeah <laughs> and it sticks into next to uh, Zapan's face yeah and I was just like that looked really cool everyone <laughs> was so shiny and <laughs> yeah yeah no, I did. I did like that. I also like the. Um, uh, I was going to say like the multiple uh, stuff because mm. yeah, those were like other action sequences. Because well, actually later on it gets like it got pretty violent. Um, but yeah, just seeing those sequences and the way she kind of moves through uh, the scene. Um, yeah, and by that point, like I'm thinking specifically the the tryouts where she like uh, has to uh leave to go save hugo yeah. but she um by that point she's got her new body and she's kind of just completely in tune and just moving about and dodging all the attacks and uh and destroying the other competitors and it's just like yeah it's such a kind of appealing moment to uh to watch as well mm. there's like the moment i does she she mm, don't know how to get off the pipe does she fall off Someone falls off at some point because um, uh, they oh, like when they the, the, when they leave they're like skating on the pipe. Yes, and then they at some point come off the pipe and there's just a grind like a a, a grinder thing that there and then they have a little fight and then she oh and she kicks the <laughs> the uh, metal cable round and then into the grinder and then into, yeah. yeah 
<laughs> See again that <laughs> that scene. Graphic, yeah. yeah, if it wasn't if it wasn't cyborgs, that yeah. would be a <laughs> problematic. Uh, and the uh, fact that they have like blue fluid instead of blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Penali? Is anything that uh, stood out visually? Um, I really, I really liked how over the top the fight sequences were. Like the mm. use of like uh, slowing it down, going into slow mo every now and again, and then like the really ridiculous things like you do- during the the motorball thing where uh, you know she fights, she chops some guy's head off, and it rolls on the floor, and he like says something to the screen and stuff like that. And a lot of yeah. that stuff really uh, made me think that this is like the director's touch because um, I don't know if you guys looked into it, but he's the guy who directed the Spy Kids series. I don't know if you guys remember. Spy Kids. Oh my oh, god! Really? <laughs> yeah. So I, it kind of reminded me of like the really weird, frenetic sort of uh, action sequences in those movies, where like silly things will happen, and then something, and then like other things will happen, and it just moves forward at that fast pace, and it's just kind of fun to watch. So I definitely noticed that in here. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah. That's yeah. No, I didn't know that Spy Kids uh, connection. <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. Um. So, so, all right. So that's the like the uh, the visual side of it, and the, the thing I wanted to get to, and you know, to go back to my question of is this a good film, is like the characterization and world building that takes place because the world is really cool, and the the whole idea of the sky city of like uh, the war. Uh, there's a lot of things to learn. And I do like how they've used Alita as the character who is essentially also there to for exposition, so to explain these parts of the world, because she comes in complete like blank slate. She'll, she has to ask those questions. Um, and as she learns, uh, we learn, and other characters are used for this. So you have uh, Ido mainly, who sort of knows more than he tells her initially, but... Uh, information is sort of eventually forthcoming from him about her and her origins. Then you have uh, Hugo uh, having uh, the, I say like the street smart kind of perspective on sort of on the ground, what's going on, uh, and then it offers a bit more about uh, Zalem. Uh, and just on a sort of character note, I did um, notice that. So there's this thing in, in storytelling where uh, called Save the Cat, uh, the save the cat moment and it kind of goes towards uh wanting to get the audience to be on the protagonist side um i can't remember what film it was originally but i think there was uh a film where some the character literally saved a cat from a tree um i don't know if that's another no i think it's even earlier like Oh yeah, I think it was just used as a trope in that, but yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know where it would have first started. Probably like it's probably extremely old. Yeah, I can imagine. But you have this uh, yeah this moment where the, the protagonist uh, does something sort of I guess altruistic, and that helps bring uh, empathy and bring the audience on their side uh, throughout the story. So it, it typically takes place early on, and in this case, you kind of almost have a literally save the cat but in this case it's a dog so when elita's uh, she has a body and she's kind of starting to explore the world she almost gets uh crushed by a what do you call that centurion which is this big kind of hulking uh i, I guess watch uh watchmen robots kind of thing um but then there's a a dog on the street and she first of all she gives it some of her food and then she kind of goes back to save it, it from being crushed and I feel a lot of this film is obviously focused on Alita as the character, but specifically getting her 
to be the one that we really root for. So as well as teaching us the world, we just like, we just want her to succeed. Um, and I feel like they do that really well. Yeah. Uh, and then, oh, what was the other thing? Oh, so uh, I guess this is the the, the downside to this uh, because I felt, I don't know what you both feel about this, but we see a lot of Elita's character, but I'm not sure how much there is of the other characters. And I felt that the other characters come off of, as quite paper thin in terms of characters uh, or shallow. I don't know if you felt that or is that just me? I feel like Elita's character was the character that they went into it with <laughs> and the other characters sort of got um assumed depth uh and they just kind of are like here is some information for you and you can fill out the blanks um so like uh i forgot her name ido's wife oh uh uh her, Shirin, her last name i forgot her first name yeah um so like her we're given like a small bit of information about her um but with that we can kind of flesh out the rest of her character um and and add the depth like i feel like it doesn't need the explanation um because it it's what we we already understand those characters um, yeah, I guess it does rely on, it almost relies on tropes to, to bring that word back where you, you have, yeah, you're relying on people's previous knowledge of characters like this, like Hugo is very much, yeah, sort of, yeah just the, <laughs> the guy that the, the main character is there to sort of have a crush on and, and develop that relationship. And there's, there's nothing necessarily much else to him. Mm. So, yeah, but I feel, um. I feel like I got a lot, a lot of, a lot of depth with uh, Doctor Edo as well. Um, mm. In, in his actions towards Alita, um, and expressions as well. I feel like, again, everything sort of does revolve around Alita because you kind of know him as much as Alita does, and you learn about him as well because you know initially she thinks that she might he might have uh something to do with the uh the um assaults that are happening and then she follows him and then she finds yeah. out who he is who he really is yeah so i don't know i feel like i feel like we don't really need many deep characters i think that's what i was <laughs> i feel like the the deep character is like this world like you know they've they've got this war that happened 300 years ago uh we it's sort of set up as if the uh, United, what was it? Um, yeah, um, everyone just calls it Erm. Um. Yeah, is the uh, is the enemy, uh, is the evil thing. And then we kind of, uh, through Alita, realise that I don't think they are. Mm. <laughs> like, um, and like, I feel like that's where like the depth is, is like in this this society that's controlled by this, guy that just wants to be immortal yeah i definitely feel that when you have a story that is as 
busy as this one with so much so many things to learn in such a short period of time like clearly they they wanted to keep the movie as short as possible because it showed as many times as possible and they ended up with it around two hours i feel like it might have originally been longer than that and then had stuff cut even yeah so i feel like i think i feel like when you have that much that much happening then you you either have to pick between having all these plot elements or having or going more in in depth into the characters' backstories, and at some point you have to make a choice. And this story just mm-hmm. chose to go all in on the world and the plot, and to just uh, you know put in tropey characters instead, where you don't have to learn their sad backstory or anything like that, except for mm-hmm. except for the really big players. But and I didn't it didn't bother me or anything like that. It's just a choice that they that they made in order to make a film that is more uh, more sort of story focused. I, yeah, I guess because so, that that was the thing that kind of bugged me more on the the second watch because this is what i guess this is what i was thinking on the first time watching why i enjoyed it i'm like i thought like they, they missed stuff out um and then i thought more about it on a second watch and like i said i didn't i didn't necessarily think that it it was a complete detriment because i definitely did enjoy uh this story but there were things like i felt yeah i guess like you say Penelope, it's the balance but there were things for me like the they referenced the fall uh and and the war but you don't necessarily see too much of that and particularly uh nova who's the main antagonist but you don't actually see (laughs) him until like the very end so he's he's hardly there you don't necessarily see because there's this theme in there about him because he can he has this ability to i don't know he can hijack yeah hijack people i guess it's only people with who have who've come from they City? Yeah, they no, they have the chip oh, yeah, sword. So uh, they actually point it out. Yes, because Edo's taking his out. Yeah, and and so he can he can just just hijack mm. their like if they've got part cyborg mind. Um, because I think uh the again I keep you literally just said her name uh the other doctor oh, uh, Shirin <laughs> Shirin um when when she's installing. The big, the big cyborg, the big ass cyborg. Oh, yeah. When, when he comes in and is like, "I need some upgrades," she's like going over his brain, and she's she's like, "Oh, there's this thing in him, and uh, yes. should I take it out?" Uh, and then that's when um, Nova turns up. Nova, yeah, hijacks it, and yeah, and it's like Vector's like, yeah, he's got eyes everywhere. Mm. <laughs> so we kind of learn that he can just hijack people. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking. I felt they more could have been said about that like his his impact on the the people and what it means for him to have eyes everywhere but you don't necessarily get that i agree but i also like there's so many questions that i feel like have been i don't know if it was on purpose or they just used it to their advantage but it's like it's been set up so that it can exist on its own, but also like a sequel will be well received. Yeah. Because there are so many things still to be explored and there are things that are unanswered. And particular particularly with with Nova. Whereas if too much had been given, then I wouldn't have finished a film of like not so much the first time watching it. I was just like, oh, I've got questions, but I'm just gonna use my imagination to to fill the gaps. Um, but then watching it the second time around, I was definitely like, so what happens next? <laughs> like, who is Nova? Like, and the way they end on, on that shot, um, 
it like really sets it up for a sequel. But then I feel like I can still, I'm still quite satisfied with the story that happened. And I think that's a hard balance to get. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, I was curious, um, how do you guys feel about that with like movies dropping obvious sequel hooks when they don't have the, the sequel funded or greenlit yet? Mm, I, I personally feel like it, it depends how it's done. Um, sometimes it bugs me so much <laughs> because then if they don't get the sequel, you're like, well, I have questions. Um, I think it depends on how big the the setup is like have they left you with just a complete cliffhanger and you've got an incomplete story or have they left you with like just a setup for another story yeah that makes sense it reminds me of like the i don't know if you if you guys remember the golden compass movie the for the the one that came out and it left it left it on a complete cliffhanger and then the sequel never got made and it was like well that was that was <laughs> terrible <laughs> uh, and it's like um I, again, like I, I understand, obviously, if you've got plans um, or at least intentions, maybe not concrete plans yet to make it, you want to not give too much away in the first one and keep people interested. I guess for me, it's thinking about, so if we're going to set up uh, another film, another story, and in the first part, uh, so in this first film, you would have set up questions. So who is this girl that, uh dr ido has found um what's her backstory uh what is she capable of uh what's her goal those kind of things those questions that you set up at the beginning if you answer those then people can leave sort of satisfied like tazzy you mentioned like i can watch this and i'm i've got the majority of questions that were set up that have been answered uh, i'm cool if there's a sequel that's fine but if not you've answered that i think it's when you go too far and you either hold too much where nothing much is is happening in the first story so people don't care enough to watch another one uh, and then you've got just the, the the blatant like you know you're yeah, winking and nod yeah there's going to be another one which i think maybe takes people out of the experience and you you it's a bit too uh what's the word uh like signposted like yeah there's gonna be another one kind of thing you want to you want people to want yeah. more you want to answer enough questions that people feel satisfied but leave a couple uh a couple threads that people are like, oh, what, what, what's happening over here and if they do that yeah, that makes so sense I, I guess for for me the balance for this was slightly off just that and again just like for me because some of the character characterization and some elements of the world weren't maybe explored a bit more it meant that the the stakes were slightly lowered so i i feel like i'm like i i would watch a sequel and i'd want to see more but like we just mentioned umbrella academy uh so let me use that as an example where the end Mm -hmm. of the season two even the first season but season two is like I need to see what what happens, and it's like you told me the whole yeah. story, and it's great. But now the way you've left it, and even on on the first uh, season cliffhanger, it still has it still had me like, yeah, all right, now where where are they going? What happens? What's the repercussions? Whereas I don't necessarily feel yeah. that with Elita. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I'd, I'd watch another one, but I'm not like you have to make another one so I can get into these people. Like maybe if I cared more about Nova and what his impact 
uh, really is than maybe, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I was. So it was the balance wasn't off so much that I felt this film was a bad film because I, I think uh, it I think it's good and I enjoyed it. It's just it's, it's so slightly uh, off that I wasn't yeah as excited. I think, I think as I I'd agree. Be. Yeah, and I definitely think that they um they definitely like held some things back a little too much for me, especially like you said with the with the Nova stuff and the fall and why were they sent to assassinate Nova or whatever? Because you mm. see that like she was like, oh yeah, you have to go kill Nova. He's you gotta you gotta take him out, and, and it's like, well, why? What what did he do? <laughs> and it's like I would have liked to know that so that I know what the stakes would be going forward. I guess. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I don't know personally. Maybe it's just because I think it. I don't like that kind of person, but it's very clear that he's like a a dictator. Yeah, no, I, I like. Yeah, I, I got that. I'm like, I don't need any yeah, more yeah, reason than that. Like, yeah. Only way people can go up is if they're. It's just their brains and eyes or whatever, so that he can use them for his experiments. And he literally says like. Well, if if you want to like be immortal, then you I don't know something like you have fun by messing with people's lives. I'm paraphrasing. I think he said by he watching said, other people die. Like that's how you have fun. Oh if yeah, you're that's immortal. how yeah you can enjoy immortality. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, I mean, I think that's reason enough to. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> to, like, I, there's definitely more to him, probably, but. You know, I'm I'm satisfied with that being the reason, yeah. and you know, anything else is just just more reason. Uh, but <laughs> I think for me, like the biggest like thing that I want to know what happens next is, um, oh my god, why can I not just get her name? <laughs> <laughs> Shirin. <laughs> not sticking. Shirin. Like, what happens to her? Because obviously, her brain and everything is just in the Box. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, that's like for me. I'm like, is she gonna be in the next one then? <laughs> like, <laughs> because she had a redemption as well. Um, yeah, right at did. the end. That's a good point. Actually, I assume she was. I assume she's done. But I guess yeah, like you say, she could be put into another cyborg. I can't remember what um, Vector said about as a because he said something as does he she get her. sent up? Or yeah, he said, um, oh, he uh nova likes particularly from people he admires uh he needs parts for his experiments so yeah her brain's literally been sent up her body parts are literally sent up for his amusement but then it sounds like he purposely gets intelligent or 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 of course they also have the people in the uh the game thingy wall with oh multiple i don't know (laughs) Motorball, yeah. So you have the champion for the motorball that goes up, right? And then they're definitely going up as body parts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, like, is there going to be something there? Does has she actually been sent up? Because he just shows that they just show the box. They don't show her being sent up. No, because like, doesn't do- Alita arrive um, right after he like you know the body parts are in the in the box, and then he closes it, and then she kills him because uh, Nova yeah. starts speaking through him. So I don't think they actually yeah. get sent up. They're just in the box. Just so does Alita take take them and take them back to Doctor Ida? Like and and I don't know, put her into I don't know. Like I I'm like something has to happen with. Or does she like actually get sent up? Because obviously he can just overtake someone else's mind and get yeah, her get things up, yeah. set up. And then does she does her memory get like 
does he do something with her memory so that he keeps like her intelligence but obviously he doesn't want her to go. yeah so that's my biggest question since all around the doctor <laughs> literally i just I, even watching it the second time around i'm just like huh i really want to know what like happens there <laughs> and they might not even go down that path but i'm like for me it just seemed to have such significance because they opened the box and showed the brain and the eyes and another body yeah. part so much that it, it wasn't just like oh yeah i've sent these up there must be some purpose it was to like, it, no, right? here they are yeah and particularly that he admires but it could have just been to point out how creepy nova was but it possibly would be a yeah that's a sad place to end her her redemption yeah her arc. right after she, like she's literally just just redeemed herself and in such like a powerful way she's like i forgot you know i'm she's like i'm a doctor and a mother and i forgot that and i'm like oh yeah like <laughs> she's gonna go back and then she's just cut up into pieces i'm like oh thanks. yeah and it happens like off screen <laughs> yeah and then and we lose both 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 the people that have a redemption arc, we we lose both of them. Like, because Hugo has his little redemption. And so you can't do that. Well you can't people. do that. <laughs> and, and then think about it. Yeah, the two people with redemption arcs get uh, chopped up in, in in both cases. Wow, that's a, that's a dark ending for, <laughs> for, for both of them. I don't know what that says. But, um, uh, you know, what I, uh, I do want to mention, because we mentioned... Uh, uh, vector that um hersha ali i i feel was wasted in this film um that's another thing that frustrated me just because i know he's such a good actor but i feel like he he could have done more with a, a character that had more depth to it and then he got killed off and that mm -hmm. does frustrate me uh when i see that yeah you're right because he, he is a fantastic actor uh, but in this role it just was it, i don't think there was much for him to work with <laughs> yeah mm. but even in this role i feel like he fully like he he there wasn't that far he like you could go with it but he made sure it was the best yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the best that could possibly get made out of that uh and yeah i definitely agree it does feel like it was like there's so much complex villain possibility mm. here and then he's just not even on screen that often it's so powerful. <laughs> he does, yeah. He does make use of the time, and I, I like I like when actors do that. Like they they make the most of what they, uh, yeah, what they have been given, even though it's a bit, yeah, it's not as much as they, they, you know, what am I trying to say? They make the most of what they've been given, basically. Um, and it, it made yeah. me think about uh, Michael K. Williams. For so for anyone who uh, watched um, The Wire, played uh, Omar in The Wire, but. He was also in a show called Boardwalk Empire, um, which is, uh, oh, who's? Uh, Steve Buscemi is the, the main character. And it is this kind of this uh, setting in uh, Prohibition America era. So like we're talking the 20s. Um, and um, Michael K. Williams plays a character called Chalky. Uh, and he just, he's, he is a prominent character. But he has relative limit, relatively limited screen time. But he makes the most out of every minute that he's been given. Uh, and I feel like uh, Mahersha Ali is like one of those actors that can just make the most of whatever they're given to just pull you into the character. So yeah, I was just disappointed when uh, he got uh, killed off at the end. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so the other thing I wanted to uh, sort of talk about and I was like 
pulling out the themes in uh, in stories because um, uh, whenever I do workshops uh, with like young kids and sort of developing their own stories and characters I always like press upon them like stories should have some kind of theme some kind of uh, message and it's quite cool to see them pick up on that and then start to work with that so to to stay true to my own words let's uh, talk about some of these themes and I feel like the the obvious one was that uh, the whole metaphor about sort of social mobility social mobility and class because you had you had it literally with the iron city and uh Zalem, where Zalem is the last surviving uh sky city it's where everything's happening that's where you want to be everyone's trying to get there uh for their own reasons and an iron city is i think Edo says you know sort of all the people that were left after the war sort of came to iron city uh, and everyone down there works for Zalem from all over the world yeah. Um, so yeah, what do you think about that idea, like how class and society was like portrayed in this film uh, in particular? And what do you think about that kind of theme in films? Because it's it's one that's been done sort of many times, right? What do you think about it in this film and generally? Well, no, like it's such a big, big thing, and it's in this case, it's literally you you don't move up. You can, you can only you can only get kicked out. You can't go up. Yeah. <laughs> You, you either, you're either born there and get to live there, or you're born in the in the city, or on on earth, like on on the actual yeah, earth, yeah. <laughs> on the ground, <laughs> and um, on the ground, and that's where you stay. And you're there's like there's these false dreams and rumors that you can somehow uh, go up, and I guess that's why everyone continues to work, and it seems like the whole of the society is built on this one sky city <laughs> the world society oh. is built on this one sky city. like what happens outside of this one little area like is that the whole of humanity but people still traveling into it yeah i guess everyone's scattered and maybe yeah people are still making their way to iron city although because it's been but it's yeah, been 300 yeah, years that, yeah. so maybe that's that's it is that who, who's left but, but there's images of people like when they leave the cities go to the, f and they go past like all the farming bits, which look all like no one lives out there. It's just farmland. But there's but there's a lot of people waiting to go into the city, which suggests that there's still more people around the yeah. world. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's really weird. But um, and like no one's dream is to like go and explore what the rest of the world looks like because the the earth seems to be enough. Like it's not. There's, they can still grow stuff, right? So, yeah. So you could go and make why, a life. Why yeah, um, that's interesting. But yeah, so because yeah, because everyone wants to get to this this utopia. Well, I assume because we, we don't actually see uh, Zalem, we just hear about it. So, but everyone wants to get there, and no one knows what it looks like apart from the doctor. And again, the um, they got they had to leave because their daughter couldn't walk. Uh, which suggests that even up there you have like such high standards for for why you can live up there and then uh there's like one comment that's like um down here we could be kings uh but up there you start from the bottom of the, of the food chain yes. so it's like there's obviously a hierarchy up there and it's probably it doesn't sound like it's the utopia that everyone thinks um it's very like like in hunger games uh yeah Everyone's trying to get to that. So, like, even in 
Yeah, but even in the inner city, like everyone's still kind of just being controlled. Like they're not, they're not free. <laughs> they don't, they don't act like they, they're still just being controlled and they have to abide by those rules. And then as well, there's a, the, there's like the, the un, like under the city as well, under Iron City, uh, because. Oh, uh, Gruishka kind of, he drops down. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. He gives a little sort of speech about it. Like, this is my world. Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, there's there's layers. Yeah, <laughs> there are. Yeah, definitely layers. And yeah, I, I do kind of, yeah, it's interesting about what that says about sort of upward social mobility and the fact that, because no one really made it. <laughs> um, and the one that got close sort of got chopped up and uh, sent back down. So I don't know what that says about our, uh, our society. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I definitely think it sort of reminded me of reality in that, you know, everyone's always being told, you know, work hard and you too can become a billionaire, the next Bill Gates. And it's like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah. But everyone and still as well, says the that moment anyway. where Yeah. And the moment where um, Elita is... Like, oh, I thought to Hugo, oh, I thought you might have wanted to stay down here. You know, like there's there's more and, and he still tries to go up and then obviously he then changes his mind and then gets shot yeah. pieces. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so dark. Yeah, you think about it, it is quite dark. <laughs> but but also real, like yeah. oh it feels real. Yeah. I think there's um so so I'm working on uh Eleventh Hour and um the idea of uh, like Penelope mentioned, you're being told like if you work uh, hard, you'll be the next uh, billionaire. Whatever. There's a there's a character Dan who I'm thinking uh, can represent that. Someone who is sort of overworked and just trying to keep above water, but he's being told like he's really buying into this. Oh, if I just do this much more work, I will I will make it. I will quote unquote make it. Um, I haven't decided if he's going to make it or not, but um, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting theme because so swinging back to Elisa, another reason why I think she's such an endearing character is she is so she's like grateful <laughs> and happy with what she's got because, like you said, she says to Hugo like, "Oh, I thought you'd want to stay here," and there's even a moment where. Hugo says like um oh, I want to show you this view or I want to show you this thing and then he shows her the view and he's looking up at um at Zalem and, and Elita's looking down and saying oh yeah this is yeah. this is a cool view it's like no 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 up there but she's she's happy like she's yeah this looks yeah, pretty that's cool a good, good illustration and it, yeah and even when she does she's like oh yeah that does look cool but it's not like oh wow it's so much more amazing down here she's just like yeah, yeah if you say so if you say so yeah yeah so i, I really uh, yeah she is such a like a character you just want to root for and uh another like theme that she has going is uh i guess this idea of sort of discovering who you are uh versus who you were mm. maybe meant to be um and then being comfortable in your own body so she has this journey of, of self-awareness where she doesn't know who she is and then she you know, she acts a certain way. She's sort of discovering the world. She's making these connections. And then she starts to sort of learn more about herself and then learn that she is like the sort of ultimate fighting machine. Um, but it's it's like, who do you choose to be versus who you're told to be, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think there's this moment that she, of like self-awareness. Um, that's when she like takes out her heart to give to Hugo. <laughs> and it gets really intense really oh, quick. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, you can't, don't just 
don't just do that. And she's like, this is who I am. Like, it's all or nothing with me. And she's very aware that it's all or nothing with her. Um, and then she, like, just puts it back in. And she goes, whew, that was really intense, wasn't it? <laughs> and she just pitches back to, like, super, like, so happy with the world. And, <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, that was... Yeah, I laughed at that moment. It's like, oh, yeah, that was, that was kind of intense. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that is like a, just a moment of where, where she's sort of come to grips that she is very intense and all or nothing and, and the things she does, mm. uh, she kind of makes a decision and goes with it. Yep. <laughs> Definitely does that. Um, and in the, uh, the theme that I kind of, uh, quite like, cause this is very much where we're going is this idea of like, uh, cybernetic technology and the divide it, it caused in humanity. Um, so you have uh, that moment where Hugo's friend uh, Tanji's asks like why he doesn't like Elita, uh, and I guess partly because she kind of like decked him when they were playing mobile that might have played into it. But but he does say like he's just not into hard bodies, so it's like people are like completely uh, um, cyborgs, and you have some people who have like maybe like limbs. Um, you have people who are still sort of human limbed. Um, and I feel that's kind of a direction that we're going as technology progresses. And I don't know if I like it. <laughs> what, what do you uh, what do you think, Penali, about like the whole idea of sort of cybernetic technology? Uh, I think I think it's a cool idea, but yeah, I do worry about the the potential for it causing even more rifts between groups of people. You know what I mean? Like mm. if 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 like super rich people can pay for all these great cybernetics, and then they can be the best at this and be the most strong and <laughs> whatever, and like that doesn't that doesn't sound great, but. Yeah, but um, other than that, I think the technology in and of itself, like, is pretty exciting, and I'm yeah, excited to cool. see where things <laughs> where things go. And I'm always for like progress in terms of um technology, and uh, but mm. yeah, it's just it's just one of those things that I think you have to be very careful when moving forward with it. Um, about like ethical issues, definitely. I think think the idea. I'm the same. Like the technology is really cool. I really think. Um, it can definitely even the playing field if it's that big if if access to it is not exclusively to the wealthy. Yeah, you know, because uh, cybernetics can really. I mean, like in uh, the fact that Doctor Edo made a body with with super fast, super strong legs, uh, so that his daughter could run fast, even though she never got the chance to to use the body but like that's kind of cool knowing that like people might have the choice to have abilities in areas they might have been lacking and then even like for us to like i don't know be superhuman i guess yeah. <laughs> i have more than more than uh what most people have but i really like when hugo because after that point hugo says to alita um you're the most human person i know yes yeah because she has that question of like can a human love a cyborg um and yeah. Then, yeah she's kind of worried about that i guess and then yeah he says yeah you're the most human person i know most human yeah i was, I was probably cute <laughs> and then like um because i think one of the other reasons why uh hugo's friend is worried is because she has the um technology and at that point they think um is like completely evil Oh, okay. And is the enemy, and he does make a comment like, 
she like she she could be the enemy and then the girl who i don't even know, no, I don't know her what name. her name is <laughs> and she goes that was 300 years ago get over yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> never forget <laughs> but yeah no it's a interesting consideration about like i just like start thinking about the progression of technology like i obviously i like technology but sometimes i wonder if we're properly considering where it's going like i listened to um i was listening to a podcast uh earlier today like a tech podcast and the uh the idea of social media was brought up and it is kind of in a uh in that discussion it was like in a political sense about you know disinformation and things on social media and how uh sort of these companies like facebook are suddenly like super important to to democracy uh in a sense and the uh the host made this point about when like something like twitter was first out you only think or the people that make it only tend to think of the positives it's like oh yeah it's gonna be great and it's mm. gonna democratize like uh conversation and communication and da, 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 da. and you don't always think about the downsides at the beginning but then you you let it out <laughs> you let it out any, anyway <laughs> and then kind of see where it goes after that and sometimes it can be um too late so yeah i'm always interested in themes like that kind of uh kind of come up in in films mm. um so yeah like we talked about the the ending and sort of the uh cliffhanger nature uh, of the ending um so i know there was an intention for a uh, another film but we also know that since the first movie was released disney has completed its uh, acquisition slash complete takeover and dominance of Fox um, and its uh, uh, and its assets and films. Uh, so I don't know if this affects the likelihood of uh, an Elisa sequel. Do we think this is the kind of film that Disney would make? Um, I think I think Disney is very uh, profits focused, and from what I could tell, yeah. this one just about broke even, which probably isn't a good sign considering Disney is just about okay. What what are we what can we do to you know make some make things that have the widest appeal possible, <laughs> make as much money as possible? So I don't know. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's not very optimistic. I think the, the <laughs> film itself because they are cyborgs and all the violence in it tends to be towards cyborgs like they're more inclined than say other violent movies yeah there is that so in terms of like just without like just as a movie without considering profits that it it would be but yeah when you when you think about the money it's like <laughs> unless they see like an opportunity they've, they've got the character there you know like if they see a way that they they can market where they need like a character like this and a story like mm. this, uh, then they they're gonna do yeah, it. Yeah. Then, well, I, I mean, I'd say two things. For is one, Elita already has the Disney princess eyes, um, so that's already there. You know, <laughs> Disney like that, and it's uh, it's an existing property, I guess. And there is that consideration that yeah, the the sort of first might not have made to wild, been wildly profitable, but I guess if you're looking at it and say can we you know make a profitable thing from this uh um from this film from this uh, license that already has uh, some kind of audience so yeah i don't know but um what would you want to see from a sequel like uh seeing how the first story ended and the questions that were answered and some that were left 
um, what would you want to see from a sequel? I feel like we know what Tazzy wants to see already. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think yeah. I need to <laughs> so, add mine. Just... So we got, so we got okay. that. Um, <laughs> Penali, what would you like to see from an Alita sequel? Um, I think, uh, yeah, I would like to see uh, the the Sky City. I would definitely want to see that since it was hidden this whole entire time in this one. I would want to see more of um, Nova and how he controls uh, the world and the people in it and what his influence is, what his goals are, maybe. Um, although he doesn't really seem to have any. Maybe he does. <laughs> we just don't know them. Um, I would also like, yeah, just some more information about, you know, what happened, how Nova rose to power. Um, what happened with this war with between between like the Mars people and yeah, I'd just be more interested in getting more information on the the backstory and the things that weren't answered basically. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. You kind of yeah hit on what I was thinking in terms of like Nova and uh, Zalem and his rise to power, and I guess specifically seeing what he's done. So his particular flavor of dictatorship and just seeing that. Uh, in action um and i feel like seeing that um the impact he's had uh on the world in general and how that then impacts elita and then that could like amp up the stakes in the film and take it from like good to like uh to great um and another thing i'd like to see is um because what's interesting about this is like usually this doesn't work but elita doesn't really have a goal like until the very end when we find out she's sort of been trained to uh take down uh nova but that comes like quite late um so it'll be interesting to see a film where elita starts with a goal now she's got her memory she's got her skills she's she's been through stuff and she has a goal so i'd like to see the film told that way around where she starts off with a goal because usually the the passive protagonist thing doesn't really work but again i think just because elita's such a uh, a fun character to sort of go on the ride with, and she's such a, I uh, say it again, an endearing character. You kind of overlook that, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like, um, I think I always think of things like um, uh, One Piece, where as an example of just a character having a clear goal and what that does. Like, you're you know what you're in store for, so you know Luffy wants to be king of the pirates. So uh, obviously, I haven't. Um, yeah, got to the end of that because there's way too many episodes. But at least at the beginning, we know what the goal <laughs> is. So that's what I would like to see um, from a sequel, as well as all the world building uh, and some characterization from uh, some of the antagonists. Um, so yeah, let us know your thoughts, what you felt about Alita as an adaptation, as a standalone film uh, in and of itself. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So uh, on that same theme, I'm going to go into our storytelling tip. And what I wanted to delve into a little bit more here is that Alita Battle Angel has a problem that should be more of an issue than it actually turns out to be. And this is the dreaded passive protagonist problem. So in your story, your protagonist should be the driving force of the story. It's your point of view character who is the reason for your entire story to exist. And the person or uh, let's say character who pushes the plot forward, or at least that should be the case. And the key for your protagonist is that they have a goal stated or otherwise that drives them through the inciting incident which is the um 
the event early on in your story that really kicks off the main plot and everything that happens thereafter. So I mentioned the anime One Piece as a good example because straight from episode one, Luffy makes his goal clear. He wants to become King of the Pirates. So whatever happens from there, whatever side quest uh, and or filler episode, many filler episodes, we always know what Luffy wants. We have a reason to be invested. Will Luffy become King of the Pirates? Not only does that keep the story moving forward towards something, it lets the audience know where this whole thing is going. It's proactive versus reactive. Your protagonist is making things happen based on an internal desire instead of just reacting to external events that are happening to them. The former is much more interesting to watch or read, or at least it should be. Which brings us to the problem here. Alita is a passive protagonist. As I mentioned earlier, it's not really clear what she wants and she kind of moves through this much of the story without any real goal. She's just reacting to the world around her as she learns more and finds herself in certain situations. So she wants to become a hunter-warrior, but this is reacting to Ido and the threat from Gruishka. It's not her ultimate goal. The same with multiple. She's interested, but this isn't a story about her becoming multiple champion. We only get a sense of her goal, her true goal, when we discover that she has been training or she's been trained around the time of the war before the fall to kill Nova. That's like the clear intention that's been sort of set for her. But Alita doesn't have the goal until the film is almost done. This really is a bigger problem than just being a reactive protagonist is that we don't know what she wants. And yet the story doesn't feel boring. And like we mentioned before, we we all enjoyed it. So I think this is down to Elisa being such a likable character that we just want to root for her. She's able to overcome what should be a major issue to hold our interest in the story wherever it goes or specifically wherever she goes. So I guess to the tip, this is kind of one of those do as I say, not as they did kind of tips. <laughs> so if Alita wasn't such an endearing character, I think these issues would have uh, presented a bigger problem to the enjoyment of the film. So here are some tips for you to avoid the passive protagonist problem. Uh, number one is make your protagonist so likable that we don't care what they want. <laughs> it can work as we've just seen. Uh, number two, is to give your character a goal and make that goal clear. So it doesn't need to be something like One Piece and Luffy basically declaring his goal out loud, but in the way that makes sense for your story, you want to make it clear to the audience what this character wants, what we're getting ourselves into in terms of the story. To number three is show them as being proactive so yes, they can react to unexpected external events, but the main driver should be them being the one pushing the story forward through actions that come from an internal desire linked to their goal. And number four is to have your protagonist overcome major obstacles on the way to that goal. So this can be related to their goal, uh, as well as the progress they have made on the way to achieving that goal. And these obstacles can be used to show character growth and obviously to show that this character is is proactively trying to do something um, towards their goal. 
they can even have help, that's fine, but they must be the ones to overcome it and lead to some resolution, whether that resolution is positive or negative. So yeah, those are some tips to get you thinking about how to avoid the passive protagonist problem. Uh, let us know what you have done uh, in your stories to overcome that. Or if you have a, a passive protagonist that you've managed to make work, how have you done that? Um, yeah, so let us know. As always, we'd love to hear from you. And now let's find out what our guest is up to. So we're going to get some more details on what Penelope has been up to. Um, so if you could let us know on any projects or any latest news that's happening at the moment with you. Um, I've been doing a lot of comic work recently. So I've been uh, one of the comics that I've done uh, with another creative team uh, is getting reprinted as issues, I think. That's that's Yuki versus Panda, um, another long series that I've been doing since 2012. Um, but that's getting re-edited for, for reprint, so I've been pretty busy with that. Alongside that, I've been doing the stuff for the, uh, the series Through the Fog Kickstarter, so I did some new artwork for that, which I'm really happy with, and I'm looking forward to starting on the comic. Yeah, me too. Yeah. so yeah that is still up <laughs> kickstarter is still live go check it out uh, let's get this comic made so we don't have any uh questions this episode but if you are interested in asking us any questions for any future episodes or you want to give us any feedback on this episode you can do so by sending us your feedback at feedback at myamada.com or on our social media at myamada on Twitter, at myamadatees on Instagram or at Tazzy on both. Yeah, send us those questions, people. Um, but that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, thank you to Penali um, for joining us for your hat-trick appearance on Story X Story. Yeah, it was great to come back and can't wait to come back again. Cool. And yeah, we hope you have enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you did, please make sure you subscribe so you can hear all our future episodes uh, and go back uh, to the past and check out the episodes uh, we did, uh, including those two with Penali previously. Um, you can also share the podcast with your followers and uh, friends, uh, anyone who is a fan of story discussions to help us reach new listeners. Uh, so we mentioned the Serious Through the Fog Kickstarter, which is uh, looking likely it's going to be our next manga uh we have existing uh stories that are on our website now uh hot lunch uh series volume one and uh samurai chef uh you can check all those out at myamada.com forward slash manga uh, and another shout for our gamepad event which is taking place on saturday the 26th of september so we've got a bunch of stuff planned um it's going to be streaming on twitch and youtube so please do check that out at gamepad.events. And you can stay tuned for more podcast episodes, including creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. Uh, you can also give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com. And our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. Uh, until next time, stay tuned and stay safe. Thank you.